This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to this episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg, and I have a special guest today, Vince Anter. Now, Vince is a certified sommelier and founder of V is for Vino. While pursuing a rock and roll career as a guitarist and vocalist, he fell in love with wine while working at the bars and upscale restaurants that obviously paid the bills. As he pursued further wine knowledge, he realized there was no place for the average Joe to learn about wine, and thus V for Vino was born providing wine education, quote, infotainment, for the casual and maybe not so casual wine drinker. Vince's passion for wine stems from his desire to pass his knowledge along to others. He takes his audience to a different wine region to explore its culture and history, taste the wine, and meet the winemakers. Vince breaks down topics in fun and easy-to-understand ways, helpful to anyone wanting to learn, from your everyday wine drinker to your more serious wine-studying professionals. His show has been featured on Forbes, Fox, U.S. Weekly, CBS, Decanter, and more. Vince, welcome to the Vine Guy podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, thanks. Excited to, excited to chat. So, Vince, let's just jump right into it. Tell me, what is V for Vino? Yeah, well, V is for Vino was, you know, a concept I, I had in my head as I, as I was training to become a sommelier. So as you mentioned, I was in Los Angeles and I was working at bars and restaurants while I was trying to be a rock star. And I found that as I got out of the music and into wine, that there was no easy way to learn about it. You know, a lot of us learn in the restaurant space through experience and maybe some trial and error. But then when you want to get more formal with it, the only formal training was just that. It was very formal training. It was you know, flashcards and book study. And, you know, you either go through the, you know, the court of masters or the WSCT. And that was fine for somebody like me. I mean, I was in the restaurant industry. I didn't mind doing that, but I was going to use that knowledge. But what about just people? What about people who just want to know more about their glass, uh, know more about the people behind the wine? And then the other thing I thought was really lacking in a lot of wine education was just that it wasn't taking you to the place. Nobody was doing the Bourdain of wine. Because as us winos know, we all tie the place and the people and the stories and the food. It's all part of the wine experience. It's not just sitting and tasting in your home or, you know, sitting and tasting in, in a bar. A lot of us, that's the entirety of the experience. And so I said, all right, can I do something that'll help average consumers or people who are, it's a lot of people in the trade too, but learn about wine easier make wine education more accessible. And I know a lot of people claim to be, you know, doing that, but I think we do a really good job at it and also just make it fun, make it, you know, approachable. And so I, I started this show back in my idea was in 2016, the first season came out 2018. And so every episode of our TV show, now we go to a wine region, we meet winemakers, you learn about the grapes, you learn about wine topics there. We go to restaurants, we cook dishes that pair with the, pair with the wines that we're talking about. Uh, we just have a good time. How do I become your cameraman? <laughs> everybody wants, <laughs> everybody claims they want to be on the crew. The, listen, it's, it is an amazing job and I'm so happy, but man, we have long days. Everybody thinks we get to hang out and drink wine all day. It's like anything else, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg. Um, but hey, listen, you want to come haul some bags, feel free. <laughs> Absolutely. I loved, I loved how you said the Bourdain of wine. That just really resonated with me. 
But I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests, or at least most of my guests. You talked about working in the restaurant industry to pay the bills while you're becoming a rock and roll star. But at some point, you had an epiphany, right? Everybody does. Can you tell me what that epiphany was? Was there a certain wine where you had that aha moment? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. I mean, I grew up in the... Um, my parents owned a restaurant in downtown Cleveland, nothing fancy by any means, but they owned um, a space down there. So I was always around food and beverage. And then I, my my dad was in the wine import industry before I was born. So, you know, he had that background a little bit. So I was always kind of exposed to it. But when it really clicked for me was when I was in college and I went abroad, I did a study abroad and I'm very big. One of the the kind of sub goals of the show is to get people to go travel and, and see the world. I mean, it's never been more accessible in 2022 to go travel and, you know, see these places and meet these people with between Airbnb and Uber and Google Translate on your phone and cheap flights. It's it's just really accessible. But I had gone on a study abroad and that was kind of my epiphany. I was like, oh, wow, this is a wine is seen in Europe, especially as just a part of the lifestyle. It's not seen as a luxury good like it is here. It's seen as it's literally seen as a food product. In fact, during covid when they were having all sorts of you know stipulations on what was essential or not, wine was included in that for them because it is part of the as a food product. And so I did this study abroad. I remember specifically I was in Centimillion in Bordeaux, and I this is before I knew what Centimillion was. I knew it was a cute town to go see. I didn't know you know the history of the wine. I was young, but I went to a family's house who we one of the French students there, and they bust out some. Very old. I'm sure if they, I knew if I saw the producer today, I'd be like, wow, I got to try that. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I remember tasting it and thinking, well, this is different. This is completely unique from any wine I've ever had in my life, any wine experience I've had in my life. And then some from then on, I wanted to understand more. And then when I got into restaurants, uh, you know, I just, I wanted that knowledge because I didn't like that it was holding me back. So I applied for a restaurant and they were like, well, you don't have the wine knowledge. You can't serve here. And I did not like that. It was some barrier that prevented me from doing something. And so I said, "Okay, I'm going to learn everything. (laughs) It is so interesting to me how some people can have that again, that aha moment, that epiphany and say, "Okay, yeah, now I'm going to enjoy wine and others get bit hard like you. You're like, I'm going in. I'm going in deep. I'm going to learn everything I can learn. And you're not going to hold me back from any position because I'm going to know, well, maybe even more than you. Yeah. And that's, and that just goes back to, you know, I didn't like that. It was our, our mission statement. One of them is just to democratize wine education. I don't think that you should have to go, you know, I was lucky. I worked at a hotel that paid for my classes with the court of masters and WSET, but what if I didn't, I mean, as a young kid in the, you know, beverage industry, food and beverage industry. I didn't have the money to pay for those classes. So I don't want that to have to be a thing. I want people to be able to get this knowledge um, for free so it can help them one, you know, more enjoyment. uh, And two, if it helps them get to the next level in their career, even better. Very cool. Now, how many seasons do you have under your belt? You talked about, I think 2018 was your first season. Yeah. COVID get in the way at all of, uh, of producing additional seasons. A little bit. So we have now um, four seasons, but the first three seasons were only three episodes each. Season one was three episodes because we bootstrapped it and I paid for it myself and that's what we could afford. (laughs) And then 
season two, uh, we were able to get some sponsorship. Um, did three more episodes, started to hone in our craft. Season three was the COVID year. And we had, I wanted to do a bunch of episodes and they all got put on hold, all the international episodes that we had planned. So we ended up doing some domestic episodes for season three because it was easier to to happen logistically during COVID. And then for season four that we just finished releasing last week, it was seven episodes and they're almost all in Europe because what happened was all the people that were put on hold from COVID wanted to come back and film now. And so we had a crazy year, but it's been it's been an amazing ride. And it really, I feel like, has taken the show to the next level. Overall, I think we've got about 16 episodes now. Cool. And in Europe, was it all one country or did you uh, bounce around a little bit? Yeah. So in uh, the Europe season was all over. In previous episodes, I had done one in Prosecco, Italy in season two. So that was our first international experience. And I... Didn't think it was going to happen that early, but the opportunity presented itself. We took it. Uh, then we did Ensenada, Mexico in season three. So not quite domestic, but it was right across the border from San Diego. You could drive it so we could do it during the COVID year. And then this year, this year we did seven episodes, two in Portugal, one in Provence, France, one in Bordeaux, France, one in Piedmont, Italy, one in Rio Spicer, Spain, and then uh, one domestic in Chicago. Wow, that is awesome. But I want to go back to Ensenada for a moment because I've been to Ensenada a bunch. And the only thing I can remember there is a lot of Corona. (laughs) No, there's actually a a really wonderful, amazing wine scene down there. In fact, it's one of the most, I think, popular episodes we have. People are are blown away that this cute little oasis exists right across the border. Um, It's called the Valle de Guadalupe is the wine region. So it's a little bit inland from the actual Ensenada city. And there's these amazing wineries, but there's a ton of history there. It's some of the oldest vines in America. That's where the missionaries planted initially from Spain. That's where they planted vines for religious purposes. And then they worked their way up the coast of California. But it started down in, in Mexico. And so there's a really old winemaking history there. Uh, And there's also now a really resurgence in modern winemaking in the last 20 years or so. You've really seen a lot of producers flock down there, not just from Mexico, but from all over the world. You can get affordable land there. Um, And then there's a God, the restaurant scene is beyond incredible. Just some of the best food I've had in my life, if I'm being honest. Wow. Okay, so now I've got to see this episode. Where can I pick up Villas for Vino? How can I watch this? Yeah, the easiest way is YouTube. Uh, Going back to kind of that, let's make it accessible. It's free on YouTube to watch any of our episodes. We're also, previous seasons are on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think you got to, you pay a buck an episode. Um, And you can, we're also in airports across the country. But the easiest way is just to go to our YouTube page, which is just Vias for Vino Wine Show. Okay, and you mentioned that, you know, when I when I volunteered to be your cameraman, you said you're kind of a, a small bootstrap operation. This must be kind of entrepreneurial. I mean, this is you're funding it with you mentioned that you were funding it with your own money to begin with. But now you have some sponsors still entrepreneurial, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, very much so. I mean, you know, most of what happens is is myself uh, and then I my wife assists as well. And then I have a small crew that we hire for the shoots. But we are by no means some large production with the studio backing, even though that's what people think when they see the episodes. And I'm happy to let them think that uh, that's always the biggest compliment. But we do a lot with the little um, and that goes to a lot of things. But 
one of the biggest things is just the accessibility in 2022. I always say 10 years ago, I couldn't have made this show. You know, there were barriers to entry. I would have had to get a food network or a discovery channel to pick it up. Now I can just self-produce it. The, you know, technology is there both for me and in graphic design and and film editing um, and distribution on YouTube or Amazon prime or whatever it might be, but also the camera equipment. I always say used to need a, a crane operator to get the shots we get with for a drone for a couple hundred bucks in a few minutes. So, I mean, it's, it's really amazing what you can produce uh, these days. It's, it's incredible. I cannot wait to watch this. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. So you also mentioned that uh, this last season you did some traveling abroad because, well, you know, markets opened up or I should say travel has opened up. Do you have any specific tips for people who want to travel in the wine world? Yeah. uh, Just start. I mean, my this is going back to what I mentioned earlier, how easy and accessible it is these days. I think there's still a lot of intimidation factor and people want to, oh my gosh, I either need somebody to help me plan this trip or I need to go to a travel planner or I need to research this for months on end. You know, once just get there, my rule is like, if you have your flight and your hotel booked, you can figure out everything else once once you arrive. Um, and so just don't be afraid to start. Uh, there's some destinations that are, you know, Europe is an easy place to travel to. There's really good railway systems. Um, the big ones are always great. Paris, Rome, Barcelona, those are always great places to start. And they're all near wine regions. But I really highly recommend Portugal. We did two episodes there. It is so affordable. It's really compact. So it's accessible. You can visit a lot in a short period of time. Um, the people are friendly and welcoming and willing to help you speak English. So I'd say that would be a good place to start if you're looking for somewhere that maybe was your first, you know, big abroad trip into a wine producing country in Europe. I've traveled to all of those regions and I love the fact that your, your enthusiasm is infectious. You're like a Labrador of wine or something. But I would be very intimidated just going to a wine region and knocking on doors like, hey, I'm here. I mean, do you need an appointment or are people really that welcoming? Yeah, well, so wine regions in Europe, I will say, are a little different than wine regions in America. America, we do have a better job of a lot of times having the formal tasting rooms and tours. With wine regions in Europe, before you go to the region itself, you do want to kind of look up what's open to the public versus what needs appointments. But I guess my point for that was like people think they have to have their whole trip planned day by day before they leave. And to me, the most fun is spending the first day or two planning the trip while you're there be, and talking to, you know, it doesn't matter if you're hotel concierge or talking to the people at the restaurants or bars. You know, you don't have to necessarily have this guided itinerary all in your head months in advance. Uh, you know, the spontaneity of of travel to me is is something that if you can if you can get past the anxiety of not knowing what you're going to do. That's often where the best experiences come. It's the place that, you know, was recommended by somebody at the bar, the little hole in the wall that you would have never found if you were just searching the Internet and already had your day full and you wouldn't have had you wouldn't have been able to be open to that opportunity. Wow. You know what? That is a great tip. I never really thought about just talking to the locals and saying, hey, where is an interesting place I can go visit and someplace I might be interested in trying the wine? That's great advice, actually. Now. Once you're traveling and there you are in a winery and you fall in love with those wines and you think, I maybe want to have some of these back home. But wine shipping, particularly 
internationally, right back to the States. Or unfortunately for where I live in Park City right now, good luck getting any wine into Utah. <laughs> Tell me what your thoughts are on wine shipping. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on wine shipping. <laughs> I, I We could spend the whole podcast talking about that. You know, unfortunately, just going to domestic, let's just talk about shipping in the United States. It is completely controlled by a few major players, uh, basically wholesalers who lobby Congress and lobby politicians to prevent wine shipping from being free and legal in America. It's completely unconstitutional. Uh, It actually goes against the Commerce Clause in the Constitution, which says you should allow free trade between the states. But unfortunately, what happened was post-prohibition, after all, Al Capone and the gangster era, they said, all right, states, you have the rights to decide your liquor laws, your alcohol laws. And every state pretty much at the same time established what we call a three-tier system, which is by law, a wine bottle typically has to go from a producer through a wholesaler and then to the retailer or restaurant. And what has happened over time is that the wholesalers have wielded that power to dominate what you see on store shelves, what is allowed to be shipped, because they don't want you, if you can ship as a retailer, if I can ship to you, or even as a producer, if I can ship to you across state lines, well, then all of a sudden the wholesaler doesn't control what you see on the shelves, right? Because you're buying it via shipping. So it's it's a real problem in the States. And, you know, there's a... Luckily, COVID pushed a lot of consumers who weren't buying wine online and buying wine for shipping to start wanting to do that. And then when they start looking into it and they started saying, wait, why can't the winery like I like or why can't the retailer that's literally just across the border, three miles away, perhaps ship to me? What's the problem? And so consumers are finally starting to see that this is an issue. Um, It's fought in the courts all the time. I'm hoping in our lifetime, you know, well, free wine shipping for all. But the number one thing I would say is that if you're in a state like you, uh, Utah, um, don't be afraid to tell your, you know, your Congress people that it's important to you that this is legal and allowed. Um, They'll come up with a bunch of reasons why they think it isn't. They'll say it's unsafe and Children will get the bottles, all a whole bunch of nonsense that hasn't actually been proven by fact to try and keep it uh, the way it is. But I'm I'm big on wine freedom. So I hope that changes in our lifetime. Yeah, well, I am not afraid of uh, lobbying for this. And I'm certainly not afraid of my children uh, getting into my bottles because they're all adults now and they're getting into them anyway. <laughs> I might be afraid that my dog might pop a few corks. It's a concern I might have at this point. So I want to know one one other thing. If you had, again, you have such a passion for wine education, for consumers, regardless of where they are in their wine journey. But if you had one tidbit, one piece of advice for people just starting their wine journey, what is it? Yeah, I would say start drinking wines based off the place they come from rather than the grape. Start focusing. It's the reason why we do our show based on a different region. Because it is terroir, number one. You know, every wine is is defined by the place it comes from. But it's the context of the entirety of the place. It's not just a terroir. It's also their tradition. It's also the laws. It's also the people and the food that will pair with it. So I'm very big on thinking of wine in that context rather than thinking of, okay, I like Cabernet. If you say, okay, go to a restaurant. I'd love a, I like Cabernet. And what you're used to is, Napa Cabernet and you're given a Cabernet from Bordeaux, France, it's going to be completely different wines. Uh, So just start 
framing your mind to say, all right, I'm going to explore as many places as possible. That to me is the biggest shift one can make when they first start learning wine. Great advice. And I will throw one plug in for Portugal. You had mentioned that it's beautiful. It's accessible. The people are great and the wines really are delicious and affordable. So if anybody's listening and they want to start somewhere, my two cents start in Portugal. It's a great, great country and wonderful regions. Yeah, the uh, the episodes we did there uh, start by watching our our travel Portugal episode. We go the whole country north to south. We explore a bunch of their wine regions and the history of winemaking there. And then the season finale was the port episode, which port wine is a whole topic into itself. It is definitely an amazing wine region. And I, I think a really good one to get started on. And Vince, just remind our listeners once again, where can they catch your show? Yeah, the easiest way is YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, you search V is for Vino, V-I-S-F-O-R-V-I-N-O, will come right up. Uh, v is for, it's youtube.com backslash V is for Vino wine show. Um, but that is the easiest way. It's also on our website, V is for Vino.com. Uh, on there as well, I have links to where you can purchase the wines. So you can actually drink along with us, which is a lot of fun. Um, Wait, what? What? Yeah, yeah. So I I have a retail partner, so you can actually go through them. I put together a pack of a couple of every wine from each episode from the new season. It's a 10 pack. It ships right to your door. So you can buy the wines, drink along with us, the wines you're watching. I always say it's like diners, drive-ins and dives. You can eat the food. It's like the wine version of that. Um, so it's a lot of fun. And then for the previous seasons, I have links to where you can find the wines online. Um, so we don't carry everything, but you can at least find them. Uh, those episodes are for free on there. And then we have our Vino VIP club, which if you get into the show and you want to support us, we make our, a lot of our revenue from sponsorships, but also just from people supporting us. We have a club and in that it's, you know, five, 10 or $20 a month. Uh, and you get to hang, do virtual tastings with me once every quarter, we do raffles and giveaways. You get to watch the episodes ad free. So another little fun perk, but the episodes will always be free, even if you don't join the club. That is awesome. If Anthony Bourdain and Guy Fieri had a wine baby, it would be Vince Hanter. It's great. I love your analogies, Vince. And I have to say, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. A hundred percent. I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I hope, uh, I hope, like I said, you're wherever you are in your wine journey, just, just keep going. I mean, there's no, the days of having to wear a, a suit while you drink wine, in my opinion, are over. So just have fun with it. That's awesome, Vince. Thank you so much. Thanks. That'll do it for this episode of the Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. Until the next time, remember, do good, drink well. <laughs>